Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Eric Corrine of The Athletic, and as you could guess, we are going in-depth on the Toronto Raptors, a team that has done a lot in the recent past with the trading of OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, but we also talk about Scotty Barnes' development, the fit of Barnes and Emmanuel quickly so far, Darko Rakovic's coaching, lots of really good stuff here, brought to you by FanDuel, fanduel.com slash Boston. New customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when they place a $5 bet, which is fantastic. Episode is a little less than an hour, but as I said, lots of great content here. I love Eric's analysis, and I hope you enjoyed as well. Thank you so much for coming on. No problem. There are a lot of different Raptors topics worth discussing, and I'm sure some people would be surprised that I don't want to start with the trades, but I want to start with Scotty Barnes, because I think in some ways, Scotty Barnes' development this year precipitated everything else that happened. So from your perspective, what has this development, what has this year looked like from from Barnes? Uh, He's been really, really good. Um, And the degree to which, as you just said, that has caused or or precipitated what's happened since, I am not as sure about that like if he was doing this and they had been winning at a higher clip then i'm not sure it wouldn't it you know things would have progressed as they did uh but they didn't uh and they weren't so here we are but i mean you have to start with the shot and and as we speak he's in a bit of a three-point shooting slump uh uh, it's fallen from, I don't know, 39 to closer to 36 and a half, which is league average. But him being, you know, a pretty good uh, catch and shoot threat and also a decent pull up threat. It just looks so different uh, to what it looked like last year when he it, it seemed like he was really thinking about what the opponent was allowing him to do what they were letting him do whether he that constituted a good shot for him and now like you know his his shot selection isn't perfect by any means but he's really really started to nail um nail it and doing everything a bit more confidently uh in terms of the other skills like his passing is you know and playmaking has obviously always been his sort of wow skill his his thing that leaps off the the page and you know certainly putting him in more pick and rolls as hand as handlers putting him as a screener on occasion uh we haven't seen as much of that as we saw uh last year in the short window between when he sort of got into that role and and before the Jakob Pertl trade but he's still a very dangerous player in that in that role uh and i i expect as he and emmanuel quickly get more acquainted with each other they'll start to operate uh in those you know one four one five whatever you want to call them whatever you want to call scotty bards he's, he's really just a scotty bards um and, and defensively like his biggest weakness probably remains his on ball defense his, his point of attack defense he sort of just doesn't get low enough but like he's starting to enter the like special territory of making plays on the back end um whether that's his uh, whether he's like getting beaten and he he recovers to make a play or whether it's as a help defender he is just a monster when it comes to blocks and uh, also like rebounding in traffic uh, uh defensive rebounds in, in particular uh He's putting all the pieces together, and and now, you know, there are some more steps to take, but you can clearly 
you know, the leap has been tremendous for sure. I'll, I'll throw out a couple of stats and you can tell me if any of those are particularly like descriptive for you. But so last year, Scotty Barnes, he took three threes per 36 minutes and made 28% of them. This year, he's taking 5.7 or 5.6 and making 37% of those. And like, that's really impressive. Like, because generally speaking, when a player ups their attempt rate, that means they're also upping the difficulty of those attempts. That's the way these things generally work. I would say that's true for Scotty Barnes, but he's making significantly more of them. And as you mentioned, it was even better than that before the the more recent downturn. January hasn't been the best shooting month for him. And another way of putting that from Synergy, last year, Scotty Barnes, 30, ah, let's call it 40% true shooting on jump shots. This year, 53.3, you know, and, and remember the jump shots are some of the harder attempts that most guys make. You know, it's not around the rim. It's not dunks. It's not anything like that. And so for Barnes, that makes a world of difference for him as an on-ball player, but also as an off-ball player, depending on where his development goes. For sure. And that's all stuff that's matched what I'm seeing on a, on a game-to-game basis. Uh, has, you know, two-point jump shooting, uh, I mean, that's nothing that anybody wants to rely on, at the, especially at this stage of their career. But it's pretty good. And as, you know, if you fast forward into a best-case uh, best, best scenario for the Raptors, where they're, you know, in three or four years, they're competing in the highest level of, you know, final eight, final four teams, and obviously a lot more than Scotty Barnes popping has to go right for that to happen. But that becomes a huge skill, uh, that sort of breaking class in case of emergency skill. And that two-point jump shooting is, is definitely there. Now he sort of has to tighten the handle and be able to you know, get to his quote-unquote spots a bit easier. But just you know, starting to see that stuff, even though you don't want to see it in high volume right now, is really encouraging uh, for where that can go. Um, I think an area of growth that you'll that Darko Ryakovich has, has spoken about is what he does around the rim in terms of finishing. He's you know obviously strong. He can finish over people, and, and now you know I think probably finishing with a little more finesse, being able to finish a bit more frequently with his left hand um, will come into play, and that'll be something they focus on over the summer. But you know certainly as somebody who every you know who who draft experts experts rightly worried that like how is this guy going to score in the league uh he's answered he's on his way to answering a lot of those questions i would say he is and we'll build out the sample in terms of shooting both from 3 from 2 and for, on free throws but the the overall returns so far have been extremely positive but i'm happy that you took some of your first answer and talked about barnes defense cuz that to me is a real growth area and there like i always saw barnes as like a forward and there were like i liked some of the defensive film on him going back to florida state but i wasn't exactly sure what his role was and when i watch barnes now what i think of is oh he's a four but if four in the sense that we kind of used to see more often which is that you know they'll take on some tough assignments it depends on how things go but the best thing they do is they support the center and they make they make those kinds of reads. And so Barnes can do a reasonable job defending other players. I agree with you. He's better off ball than on ball, but making those reads and being there. And I mean, his block rate has skyrocketed. You know, if you want to do it as a proportion of opponent possessions, went from about two to about four like that, that's really huge. Or if you want to do blocks per 
36. He's, you know, he's almost, he's over one and a half now. And that, it's not a role that every team uses now because of how much spacing the league has, but it's a role that actually ends up being very useful when you have a player who can pull that off without sacrificing other elements of defense. You know, like, obviously, I'm very wary of using this comparison, and I'm not saying he's there yet at at the level as the player who I'm about to compare him to, but, like, the role itself reminds me of Giannis and Mike Budenholzer's defensive system, right? Like, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's just a playmaker. He's somebody who knows where to be and instinctually can get to where the defense needs help. And that's why he's, I think, last time I checked, one of three players uh, with Mitchell Robinson, who's been injured for a while, obviously, and Anthony Davis averaging 1.4 steals and 1.4 blocks per game. Like, he's he's that type of defensive playmaker. Uh, You know, obviously, there's one Giannis in this league, but just in terms of the pure role, his idealized role, uh, I think it's that. I think, you know, we've already seen him play small ball center. It's not what you want game in and game out, but it's definitely an option for, you know, better Raptors teams down the road. Um, And I I think by some of the more advanced versatility metrics, you're not going to, you know, fall through, fall through the floor with him in any role. So, so yeah, like I I think you have it nailed. Like that's his, his best role is as a, um, as a quote unquote help for, uh, if that's what we want to call it. But the beauty of it is that he can sort of be placed around the floor as needed and as dictated by the game and situation, and you're going to be all right. Uh, but yeah, ideally, he's he's in that help for role. Some spot minutes at center are really intriguing to me. And I, I don't think, like you said, I, do, I don't think that you lean on it heavily, but just as something you can go to. Like, I don't think Scotty Barnes is Draymond in that capacity, but I do think that five, ten minutes a game when the other team is in a, a lineup where it makes sense, sure. I mean, you could, you could try it out. And there are a lot of centers around, so I don't think you need to lean on it. But one of the other elements that gives Ryakovich and the coaching staff is just an ability to, to mix and match your talent a little bit differently. And that's something from what you were talking about, about how malleable Barnes' defensive role is looking. Remember, this is his age 22 season. Like, there's some, there's some time here. That means that as Masai, as this front office is building the team— you can go after players with different strengths and different weaknesses, and not every combination is going to work. Like, that is abundantly clear. But that's always true. And the more options a, a single player can give you, the more possible positive paths there are. Yeah, and starting off with that guy, as your, that, that piece as your centerpiece, it just gives you multiple ways to build out, right? Like, so that's... And I mean, that's usually the case with superstar players is they can, they're talented enough and skilled enough to fit in in any number of ways. But that's not, you know, that's not the case all the time. And the great thing about Scotty Barnes' skill set is he doesn't dictate necessarily playing with one type of player. Like at the beginning, I sort of thought, you know, RJ Barrett, not necessarily a great fit with Scotty Barnes as a guy who's, you know, loves to drive, who, who always wants to get down. Downhill. I'm talking about Barrett now, but Barrett has, you know, been fine as a scorer and been fine in that role. And what they need more from him is sort of that on-ball defense. And you know, I, I'm sure Knicks fans are, uh, you know, can nod along and agree and say somebody with that sort of 
you know, profile physically, you would hope would grow defensively as opposed to just sort of being an average defender. Now we're, you know, we've moved away from Barnes for a second. But the ability to fit with many different types of players is is huge for this front office um, because, you know, they're not even after the two trades, they're not swimming in assets. They're not at like the in the top three or four teams in terms of, you know, teams that are going to have a easier time being able to go all in for any piece that comes available. So having a guy who you can, you know, nudge his role 15% one way, 10% another way, and still get a ton out of him is a really nice piece of flexibility for the Raptors to have. Last Barnes question, and you can answer this with an I don't know. Totally fair. I usually do when that's an option, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, thinking thinking a couple years ahead, what do you think, knowing what we know right now, is Barnes' best role offensively on a good team? Is it kind of hybrid secondary creator? Is it primary offensive weapon? Is it something like maybe tertiary or something like that? What do you think? You know, there was this one game, I want to say it was his rookie year, um, and he sort of went like shot for shot with Kevin Durant while Durant was still a Brooklyn Net. And, you know, that game's always stuck in my mind, but I don't think that's it, right? Like, he's not Kevin Durant. He's not the type of shooter that's just going to rise up and take any shot and make any shot. Not that he cannot do that, but I don't think that's ever going to be the best version of him. I I think, like, he's, uh, you know, I think he's going to be somebody who does have the ball in his hands a lot. Um, But I think it's still yet to be, you know, to, to, to take the easy out. It's yet to be determined what that becomes. And like part of it is what does Emmanuel quickly become as, as your, you know, the guy who figures to be the quote unquote point guard of this team, uh, where do draft picks come in and, and how do they contribute? Like, I think Barnes can be sort of your main guy operating as the handler in a lot of pick and rolls. And I think that's always going to be a part of what he does. Um, but like I said, like his ability as a four on three roller is so good that I wouldn't want to lose that if I'm the Raptors. So um, I-, I think secondary creator is sort of it seems low for him but also like he's not going to be like an iso scorer guy so somewhere you know in the vast uh (laughs) area in between that is where he'll land and and sort of where he lands will depend both on his individual growth and how the team builds out it will and i'm i I was smiling when you brought up emmanuel quickly because i think that's the natural tie-in here is we're we're 12 games into emmanuel quickly's tenure with the raptors of course there's plenty of other film and what he did with the Knicks. How are you feeling about Quickly and his fit with Barnes? I think it's going to be really good. I think so far we're seeing a lot of the, you know, growing pains that come with, first of all, like Quickly hasn't been a 30 plus minute per game guy for a huge stretch. Uh, and to be that and be one of the guys who's charged not only with scoring, as was his main role in in uh, in New York, coming off the bench most often, but also uh, getting guys involved. That's something he's getting used to. Uh, as we speak, he, he had a thigh contusion, apparently uh, suffered in the Memphis game uh, and is unlikely to play against the Clippers, it sounds like, on Friday night. But uh, you would hope that wouldn't keep him out too long. Um uh, I, I think the pairing has been fine, and I was really high on the the fit 
when the trade happened. And I think we're still, we've just yet to see it really pay ultimate dividends. And I, I think part of that is because Barnes has moved a bit of a way, a bit away from being a screen and roller guy, which he can very much be with uh, quickly. And I would imagine that will, uh, that's something we'll see a lot more in the future. And part of it is, you know, quickly trying to sort of feel what it is to be a floor general and what it is uh, to know you have sort of the green light to take, you know, Darko Ryakovich mentioned the other day, I want to see him taking eight, nine, ten threes a game. He's taken six threes a game. Uh, often we don't see him really get going until the second half. And the Raptors famously are a team that needs that. So um, I, I think they're it's I'm still very high on it. I just don't think we've seen much of what the pairing has to offer yet. It's a reminder of how little, for me, teams practice during the regular season. And you think about how awkward it is to incorporate a new piece who is so different from what you had. And like, I mean, Quickly and, and Schroeder are not even close to the same player. And Quickly is not close to particularly to me to anyone else that they had, mostly in a good way. But it, it, it's challenging. And so you think about bringing in a player in you know in january and or late december and you don't get training camp you don't get off season you don't get anything else and and where the quickly barnes dynamic is going to be less cut and dry than a lot of pairings where you know okay you this guy is the ball handler this guy is the screener the shooter however you're going to do it like the ideal world quickly is going to be a meld of on and off ball. Barnes is going to be a meld of on and off ball. They'll do some interactions together, plenty of interactions separately. And that's a lot to manage. That's a lot to, to do in season. Good news for the Raptors is that they don't have to figure it out right now. There's not going to be a, you know, this isn't a six month referendum on how the pairing works. But the conceptual fit, which is what you were getting at with a lot of that answer, I still really like. And I think that the part of what I brought up the complicated like interplay that those two gentlemen are going to have, they have the right building blocks to have that make sense. And and they, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but like they also have the right offensive approach, which right. Darko Ryakovich has been trying to put in there since the beginning of the season. And, you know, the, the Raptors became, went from being the lowest assist team in the league to being, uh, last I checked again, second highest. And this is a team and a coach that doesn't want the ball to stick in one. And now, like, most teams are saying that now. So this isn't revolutionary stuff. But it is a sea change from how Scotty Barnes spent most of his first two years, right? Sure. So uh, that's just another way in which it's going to take time. But when you get as many players as possible who can thrive in different settings, and I'm sorry to cut you off, like you have the ability to sort of play and build out that style of play, which is, you know, Masai Ujiri has been vocal about how he didn't like the way the team played uh, in 22-23. Uh, that's part of the reason Darko Ryakovich is here and teaching that style. And now you're getting players, and I, th I still think we need to see a lot about uh, Emmanuel Quickly's playmaking abilities. He he's had some big assist nights, and obviously there's a lot more to playmaking than how many assists you end up with, um, but just the overall passing ability. But you're now getting players who can, you know, do all three things. They can shoot, they can dribble, and uh, they can pass. 
and that is, you know, will be Masai Ujiri's focus. And it's just nice to have those options with, you know, in Barnes and Quickly, I think are your two most obvious long-term core pieces right now. They certainly appear to be. And no no need to worry about cutting me off. You made a significantly better point in a much better way than I would have was about to do. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. And that t- dovetails into something that I wanted to discuss with you, which is the first half season of Darko Ryakovich. And Nick Nurse is an extremely highly regarded coach, but the Raptors had a, they've had a weird couple years over the last few. They had a talent shift and everything else like that. But how would you, taking the Nurse part out of it as much as you want to, how do you think that the Ryakovich tenure has gone so far well it's bizarre because they just changed teams right like so (laughs) that's uh, true it's uh but but what he's uh, trying to do i think is somewhat consistent no and i think like the the most important thing and it's a bit strange that we're bringing this example up because they are two teams with very different goals right now. But, like, I think about the Milwaukee Bucks situation and the Adrian Griffin firing, and that was a team that from nearly the start of the season, from the fourth or the fifth game of the season, when the Raptors ran them off the floor in Toronto, there was clearly not buy-in in what was being sold here. And even when Pascal Siakam was here and on a contract year, every reason to, you know, just want to get his numbers and want to play his way, he bought in. And he was trying to play the way that Ryakovich was preaching. And that's a credit to Pascal Siakam as much as anybody else. But And, and like, I don't think Pascal Siakam is in any way a high-maintenance player. Um, So, you know, that's not the same as getting, like, the very highest and very most demanding superstar to play the way you want. But I think it says a lot to get a very tenured and a very, you know, two-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA player uh, to play the way that you would like in a way that is not necessarily advantageous to his personal goals like to me that was it just reflected very well on both of them and for most of the time i was focusing on siakam because i think that requires a lot of professionalism and maturity uh but now that siakam is in indiana and my job is more or less to cover the raptors it also reflects pretty well on ryakovich who's been able who was able to get that buy-in and is certainly getting that buy-in from players with less complex sort of long-term scenarios uh which is every player on the roster that pascal siakam had on had at uh while he was in toronto uh so i think he's nailing the big things some of the small things you know people were worked out about his bench rotations for a while i i sort of thought we should have seen a starting lineup change quicker than we did um before the trade and it's tough to separate that and i'm not trying to take an easy out here but it's tough to separate that from did this guy not believe there should be changes or was this guy hired as much as anything as counter-programming to Nick Nurse, who, well, going back to the Nurse era, played these hyper-aggressive defensive styles, was leading heavily on his five starters and two reserves, and, uh, you know, a lot of, and was, I don't think necessarily coaching, but living with this offense that was awfully stagnant in, in uh, the half court. And Darko was brought in, as as I mentioned, as counter-programming to a lot of that. And part of that means rolling with bench-heavy lineups that might not work. Part of that means using a starting lineup that might be proven to not work 
for longer than I would like to see. Um, so I think we'll have to reevaluate that stuff when the games start to matter more with Darko Ryakovic. Uh, I think there's reason from the early season on that front to be concerned, but not to be, like, it's not a big thing. It's just a thing to remember down the line, I guess. But the big thing, the buy-in, I thought he, I think he's definitely got it, which is, uh, you know, number one, certainly. It is. Lots more to discuss, but first, a message from FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapped up, but there is still time to get in on NFL action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. Find bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITHIT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in, Indi- in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. And this will, you know, the the quickly Barnes pairing, not that it's all those guys, but that is going to be pretty significant for evaluating Ryakovic over probably the next 40 games. Like, I mean, he'll have more time, presumably, to do that. I don't think we're getting another Adrian Griffin here. <laughs> but the one of the things that I really enjoy seeing with a coach is when they have complicated inputs like and that complicated doesn't mean bad it just means complicated uh how how malleable are they how creative are they how how well do they figure things out and and part of it is going to be over the course of these 40 games but honestly another part of it for me will be the start of next year because i brought up how you know quickly barnes haven't had a training camp or an offseason together and presumably they're both going to be on the team i mean quickly is a restricted free agent but that means that the raptors have match rights and so it's possible that we start next year with those two players not as the as the top two focal points. Entirely possible. Not what I expect. Entirely possible. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see where this team, how they're playing 20, 30 games from now. But then I'm also going to be very interested in what does this scheme look like offensively? What are what is the balance? And to an extent, the bench rotations. What do those look like when they've really had some time to sit and think about what these players do well and poorly? And get some, you know, more players. Ideally, <laughs> ideally, <laughs> ideally yes. 
Um, and that's where, like, I'm, I'm sure you want to talk about the trades a little bit. And we all, uh, I think most people listening to this podcast know the perception of this draft. Uh, but, but yeah, and I, I think, like, to finish up talking about Darko, unless you have any more questions, like, the, the encouraging thing is, like, we start at the very, very start of the season, there wasn't, there weren't many post touches, and then he realized, well, you know what, Pascal Siakam's really good in the post, and Scotty Barnes is increasingly good in the post as playmakers, and we can still move the ball a lot while using them in those positions. So uh, I, I think you've seen some ability to adjust from that end. I'm not going to say like the Raptors offense has been, you know, a, a revelation or anything like they just, for the most part, haven't had enough shooting or uh, creation to, to really be special on that front. But the the ways Ryakovich has adjusted and coached his team through those adjustments uh, have been promising. The you know the the big disappointment of the season before the trades, I would say, were the defense or was the defense, I should say, um, just because it, it's tough to imagine a defense with the you know, Jakob Pertl, who's let's say a league average center, but like a, a very smart center, and OG Ananobi, one of the best and most versatile defenders in the league. And then, you know, we already talked about Barnes. Siakam, when he's dialed in, is another playmaker. It was tough to imagine that lineup just being blah defensively, and they were. So we'll see where we go from that. I sort of half attribute it to a bunch of guys knowing what was coming or feeling what was coming. <laughs> Sort of, re- and maybe that's oversimplification on my part, and uh, it will be revealed to be a huge uh, problem for the coaching staff or, or, or the team down the line. But you know, you have to remember this team has been since basically December, early December 22, January 23, the Raptors have been thrown in like every trade mechanism possible. Um, so that I, I do think that has to wear on a team and players and just an organization as a whole. Also, I mean, not that I'm giving anyone coaching players an out, but like being outside of the like the the like high end realm, you know, sometimes that lack of motivation can can weigh in a little bit. And I'm, again, not giving anyone an out, but that is a, a notation. And yeah, let's get to the trades. I mean, we can start with the one that happened chronologically first, which is the OG Ananobi deal. And I thought that the Ananobi trade was a clear, let's call it a statement of intent from the front office that whether you want to say it was informed by not having their fir- likely not having their first round pick due to the Jakob Pertle deal or just the overall philosophy, I'm leaning towards column B rather than column A. More interested in your response to that of this is not a full teardown. This is a retooling, a reimagining, even if there is also a talent downgrade as a part of it. Yeah. And like before analyzing it, like kind of refreshing to see a trade that is just I mean, there's more to it, as you said. There is a bit of a skill downgrade, uh, or talent downgrade, I should say, or or ready-to-win downgrade, but refreshing to see a need-for-need trade instead of, like, just just a pure future for present trade. Like it was not exclusively ruled by timeline. So I think as like somebody who, you know, deals with that, that was nice to see. Um, Look, if the Raptors wanted to tear this down, they would have done it at the deadline last year. And I've been critical of the front office. I think they certainly missed a window at last deadline um, to trade Pascal Siakam for a greater return than they got. 
And I think by making the trade, the Jakob Pertl trade, they sort of confused and complicated their for- future picture um, for a limited upside. Um, and now Masai Ujiri is always somebody who's like hoping to be able to get, get in on the next big, you know, piece, the next sort of major thing that shakes the league. The league. So he wanted to stay good. He wanted the team to stay competitive. He had a lot of faith in his individual players, which I get because they were all in like good in like Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes. Those are four, you know, of the top 75, 80 players in the league at any given time. Um, and there was just mounting evidence that the fit wasn't going to work on the timeline necessary for it to work, given their contracts. And what happened, happened. So that's my criticism of it. Um, but I think they're aware that Scotty Barnes is going to be ready to impact winning in a more significant way than he currently is very, very soon. I think they want to be able to have pieces that that complement him. And they know what happens with stars in this league. It doesn't take that long. And like Scotty Barnes isn't there yet. He hasn't made an all-star team yet. I, you know, we don't have to talk about all-star chances, but I would vote on, I would guess that the coaches are going to pick guys on better teams than Scotty Barnes. um, If he is a reserve option, which I anticipate he will be. Um, So I think you're right in how you read that trade, uh, the OGN and OB trade, which is here are two guys, especially quickly, but but I don't want to lose the RJ Barrett piece in this because he's been, you know, very effective for the Raptors that complement Barnes, uh, both in age and in skill set. And they're hopeful that they can get back to nailing some of those picks. And that's where the Siakam trade comes in and nailing the developmental piece that if you think back to how the Raptors won the title like that that side of things was such a huge part of those 50 win teams the 59 win team that preceded uh the Kawhi year um they know they have to get back to hitting more often than they have recently so you're right in reading the og trade as such and i just don't think i mean i know the the that version of the siakam trade just wasn't there since since the summer it just hasn't been there and i think if it truly was there they might have gone in that direction instead they turned it into three picks and bruce brown who uh could be turned into something else in in a very short time span well we'll have to see on the bruce brown element of it and i i think that part of the interpretation you know as we got for fuller context from it of the Ananobi trade is that getting quickly and Barrett in that deal allowed Ujiri to go in a different route for the Siakam trade. I think that going, getting a similar return to the Siakam deal in both would have been unpalatable because then they would take it, could take it, taken a step backwards. And also like the players, they could have theoretically engineered something for RJ if they really wanted him. But like quickly, a little bit of a challenging player sometimes to get without that sort of circumstance. The Knicks clearly wanted OG Ananobi and it seems like he wanted the Knicks considering some of the motivations that are out there and the, <laughs> and the connections. And so I, I think that the like your idea that you brought up in terms of like that the a Siakam trade that looked like the OG deal wasn't out there that's kind of borne out by the evidence of what what ended up happening and the 
it's interesting, especially like I had thought about an OG trade to the Pacers, not only because of his connection going to Indiana University, but also like he would have been a really good fit for them too. I think Siakam's in many ways a better fit for the Pacers just because of the secondary playmaking and some of the other stuff. But that opened the door for a more pick-focused Siakam deal, albeit picks that are conveying two of the three this year. Yeah, um, and there was the option of of trying to keep him uh, on some sort of extension. And I think the timing, uh, first of all, you can argue whether that would have been the right thing to do, like on any level, forget the contract, forget the years, is, you know, the best use of Pascal Siakam to keep him next to Scotty Barnes. And and I don't really want to have that debate. It's over now, but I think you can make a case against it. I was sort of in the, well, it depends what you can get now versus later camp, which is, you know, the boring camp. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, like they decided that they weren't, you know, I think this has been fairly reported, they weren't going to give him four or five years at the full max. You know, you you go back to two years ago, he was going to try to qualify for the Supermax, and and that didn't happen. And they never, like, hit on the same goal at the same time. So, you know, learning from the Fred Van Vliet situation, where he ended up leaving for no return, except the Raptors were able to use the full mid-level and the biannual uh, to get them Dennis Schroeder and Jalen McDaniels. Um, <laughs> you know, this is certainly better than that. Uh, but like I said, and, and I think it was a, you know, it was, I, it would have been a, a, a disaster to lose him for nothing. And I, given what, what I believe to have been on the table for Van Vliet, I don't like, yes, it's bad asset management, but I don't think like they really, really missed some huge opportunity there to get a really big core core part of the future unless they nailed a pick that is very hard to nail. And here they have, you know, they'll get very likely three draft picks, three first rounders out of it. You know, one that will be in the middle of the first round of this draft, one that will be at the end of the first round, and then another one that has some upside if things go wrong for the Pacers in 2026. Um, And so that's not nothing. It's, you know, something you can turn into, um, you know, more in a trade, which, you know, Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster et al. will always keep their ears to the ground on that front. And, um, yeah, so they did what they had to do. I, like I said, I, I think it would have been better if they had done it a year ago, but uh, to use the phrase that Messiah Jerry used, let's not cry over spilled milk. Uh, what happened happened, and all you can do is adjust to the new reality, and, and I think the Raptors did that. It's complicated to talk about it for that reason. I mean, it's the same thing with the Purtle trade, where it was like, in an ideal world, yes, this all would have happened differently. And that is an important consideration. But if that's the whole conversation, it's just not that interesting a conversation. Like, that's the that's the fundamental challenge of it. It's like, yes, they should have done some things differently. No, they did not do those things differently. Okay. But I thought I thought that Ujiri did a nice job responding to that. And and the Raptors, I do think they would have they would be in a better place right now if they, if they had done at least some of these moves earlier. We'll we'll see with how quickly and bear, fair. But like, you know, oh, okay. Then that then that that is that is really that. And and there isn't that much that we need to dwell on there. Where I was thinking of going for the remainder of this is just for people who aren't following the Raptors as closely as you are, what other players' kind of situations on this team do you think 
could hold some weight beyond this season. So, you know, they, they brought in a number of players, including Jalen McDaniels over the summer. He hasn't really played that much for the Raptors. Dennis Schroeder was in a larger role, is now in a smaller role because of the quickly deal. Like, is there anything in that realm that you think would be good for people to understand about this year's Raptors? For the Raptors specifically, or, or for any for other teams? I mean, <laughs> like, how, however, however you want to take that, Eric. Like we could take tra- talk trade candidates, as I mentioned. Like Bruce Brown, I think I would be. I'm not saying he's going to be traded, but I would. I would take. I would guess he will be traded before the deadline. Uh, he has the uh, 23 million dollar club option for next year. So that I mean, the Raptors can keep him and do this in the off season, or do it at the uh, before the trade deadline next year. Uh, because the cap space they can create, and let's not go into a numbers, uh, you know, rabbit hole. Um, they're just, they're, it's not the most in the league, obviously, and there aren't a number of huge candidates that make a ton of sense for the Raptors. Um, so and, and, and le- unless they can do the funniest thing possible and re-sign Siakam or Ananobi, but it's probably not. Oh yeah, like, Ananobi would fit great on this team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's as you alluded to. It's possible that uh, some uh, light uh, there, there's some inside knowledge maybe between the Knicks and, and Ananobi's representation. Let's leave it at that. Somehow um, about what a, a deal might look like. Um, I think Pirtle, Jakob Pirtle is an interesting one because like he was having a real difficult time fitting in, particularly offensively, um, to start the year. And as I mentioned, I, I didn't think defense, you know, just the overall defense was so poor. And I, I don't put that all on Pirtle. Um, but, you know, if he's performing at his best, I don't think they would have been middle of the pack or, or below either. He's been injured for now more than two weeks. He sprained his ankle. If uh, It sounds like he will return sometime during the six-game road trip that leads into the trade deadline. I don't think he gets moved at the trade deadline. I think it's very, I think they think it's very important to have a stable center around a young team that is still figuring some things out defensively. Uh, and I think his role is going to be clarified in that sense because he, you know, it, it's a, there, there's just a bit more shooting around with quickly just more dynamic shooting. Um, and he's obviously going to need to be a major part of keeping this team afloat defensively. And, and they've more or less sunk defensively uh, while he's been out. So he'll be an interesting part. He is after this year has two more years plus another player option on it. And, you know, again, I I personally wouldn't have done that trade, but I also wouldn't be shocked if at this time next year he has rehabilitated a lot of that trade value. Um, so I think he's one piece. As I mentioned, Brown, Gary Trent can be had. I don't think there were a lot of extension talks with Gary Trent Jr. Uh, once he uh, declined, or sorry, once he picked up his player option, which was a bit of a surprise for this season. Uh, despite him shooting very well from deep, I, I think he's right around 40%. It's been a bit of a disappointing year for him. He seems to be in the starting lineup for the, the future, so maybe he can raise that in a quick uh, sprint to the finish. Uh, but I wouldn't, I, I think he's very available uh, going into the trade deadline. Uh, and then even Schroeder, like I, I think there's definitely a comfort level with uh, Darko Ryakovich and Dennis Schroeder dating, dating back to their time in Oklahoma City. But I also expect he's a guy who 
you know, would have some value around the league. And uh, if the Raptors are thinking about building for the future, they don't want to get rid of all of their, you know, contributing veterans. So I'm not saying all those guys are going to go, but they also have to marry the future with with the present and uh, being able to collect those pieces that they've they gave up in the Pirtle trade or in the you know the Thad Young trade a year ago, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I I think those are the most interesting names. Nobody, uh, I guess we didn't talk about Grady Dick, who's had a very disappointing start to the he season. He has, yeah. Uh, is, he's starting to come around right now, but I, I'm not going to call that one yet. I'm also not going to call like that his career is like they knew he would be a problem defensively early on. And the bigger issue has just been that his shots haven't fallen. And, you know, I haven't done deep dives on, on shooters coming into the league and struggling this badly from three. Um, and like the first four or five games, I thought he was flashing really, really good basketball instincts. So, you know, I don't think I'm giving, I'm not giving up on him. I know the Raptors aren't giving up on him. That's sort of where that stands. Um, and after that, I think you're, you're getting into, uh, you know, veteran salary matching territory, not to disparage, uh, or, or two-way players. You want to talk about any of those scenarios, Donna? Uh, I, I, th- I think we could skip that for now. I mean, we're, we're on limited time. But I, I think the other key question that will get answered at the deadline, or you know, maybe before then, is how much the Raptors are valuing their financial flexibility for this summer and beyond. So quickly, part of the benefit of being a late first-round pick is that his cap hold is very manageable. It's $12.5 million. And I don't know how far ownership wants to go with spending and everything like that. But there are kind of two different paths. One of them is they could, either through Bruce Brown or some of these other guys, you you just let a lot of guys go. Maybe you can even move a, a Schroeder or somebody like that for for a, an expiring contract if, if a team Chris, was interested. Chris Boucher would be the other name. Chris uh, Boucher could also. Wrench. Yes, exactly. And so you could you could go that route and if, if they want to. Like you, I don't think there are many pending free agents that are a great fit for the, for the Raptors, though cap space can be used for other purposes, trades and everything else. The... The other path that I know I know this front office is considering, and it'll just be about what other teams offer, is you kind of spend that space now. And the idea would be potentially you trade some of those expiring or semi-expiring deals for players who are on longer-term contracts. That would be a better thing to do if there were high, higher-end players, better <laughs> players that teams didn't want like that that there is a weird supply issue here right now just there aren't that many bad contracts in the league right now but it's still a conversation and basically what you do with that and Masai Ujiri this would not be the first time is you have those conversations you see what offers are on the table and you choose a path and both are viable both are potentially valid when you think about the quickly Barnes combination and some of the pieces the Raptors are going to need to add however they add those and it what makes the Raptors different than some other ones like the Wizards are potentially in this boat the Hornets are is that the Raptors don't need to do an all or nothing here. They could do a little of column A, a little of column B, depending on where where things are. Like, they could do a Bruce Brown trade now. I think it's probably better because there are some teams that might be interested in Brown to keep him and some that might be interested in using him as a way of offloading salary. And it just gets thornier when you make a team option decision to do that. Not impossible, thornier. And so I, I think that you have that. But then with Schroeder and with Gary Trent and with, man, maybe Boucher and a few other guys, you talk to teams, you get the intel on this is... This is what they think of them. This is what it would take to get something done. And 
the front office has a has a little conversation. They say, should we do this deal? Should we do that deal? And they don't have to make like the sit. It doesn't have to be they all get traded or they all get kept. Each one can be a little bit piecemeal. Yeah, and I think that's the way they'll go. Like sort of as opportunists more than anything. And I think what you alluded to is a salient point here is that I sort of don't see like. Even if we're talking about guys who are, you know, B, C level prospects, like, I don't think there's anybody obviously available at that sort of shooter Boucher price point, 12 million or whatever. And the the Raptors have 8 million with Thaddeus Young or 6 million, 6.3, I think, with Porter that they can combine there to to try and, you know, get up if there's if such a player exists. I just, you know, I, I haven't gone through every roster, but, like, no obvious names are popping to mind. So uh, I think with Schroeder and Boucher, who are two of the more interesting guys there, you think, okay, like, there are two more. With there, There's the offseason and next deadline where we can see if those types of guys emerge. I think, like, unless they get a piece they really like, they should not be in the business of giving up any of their seconds and certainly firsts. So I don't think they're they're going to get off salary like like they're not doing the equivalent of the ba- the Marvin Bagley trade. I guess, I guess is what I'm saying. Like I I would be very surprised if if they pay the price to create that type of space. Um, and I think they're probably you know the expirings are one thing. So Gary Trent, depending on how you view, view Bruce Brown, Bruce Brown, that's that's one thing. The guys who still have some term there. I would, just based on my sense of the market, I would be more surprised than not if they uh, if they were traded. I, I don't think they will be, which isn't to rule it, rule it out. Uh, and I think they are very much a team that isn't going to go all in for to get every last second round pick, every last you know crappy fake first rounder that is available. I think they're, uh, as you saw with the Ananobi trade, they're much more into players who they can project out and figure out how fit it, they fit into the system. So I would think, you know, to pick one side or the other, that's the side I'm picking. But I would, like you, sort of predict it to be a bit of a blend, depending on the scenarios they see out there. Last question, because I know we each have things to do after this. Um, what? Okay, so we're about halfway through the season. What are you going to be watching most closely with the Raptors over the remaining 40 or so games? I want to see how the defense comes into focus once Jakob Pertl comes back, assuming he um, he stays here, stays in Toronto, which, again, I assume he will. I want to see how that affects what they're doing with Scotty Barnes defensively. He spent, especially right after the Ananobi trade, he was guarding sort of the top option sort of regardless. And as we mentioned, I don't think that's the best use of him. Not that he can't be a part of that answer, but that's not where I think he is going to thrive. And and as such, I don't think that's where the Raptors are going to thrive. So I'm sort of looking more defensively than offensively. Saying that, I, I want to see how quickly and Barnes continue to act uh, and interact within the offense. Uh, I want to see if RJ Barrett can sort of fit in. He's he, again, like I think he's fit in better than expected, um, but sort of expand that offensive portfolio to add just a little bit more playmaking um, and not just sort of the downhill driving that is his calling card. Um, I think those are sort of the big things there. And then there are always developmental stories, which which will creep in. Uh, but then we're getting into, again, sort of 
two-way player, where can the Raptors win on the margins, which uh, will be a lot clearer after the trade deadline, I think, than than before it. Absolutely. And um, thank you so much for taking time. It has been a, a pleasure, as always, to talk with you. Uh, no problem. Always always fun to chat. Thanks again to Eric Kareen for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic. You can also check him out at ekoreen.bsky.social. And love having him on. And Eric's insight is is just, I, I, I think he has a really good read on, on the Raptors consistently, especially right now, where we're still figuring these things out. I, I really loved having him on. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode. Real Jam Radio is never going to come out on a specific day of the week. It's my availability and guests. So subscribing is the way to do that. If we are not in the podcast, wherever you're choosing, please let me know and I will pass it along and someone who is more skilled at these things will figure that out. You can also help other people find the show through social media, through ratings and reviews, through word of mouth. I appreciate all of that. But the single most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for Real GM Radio and this episode that is FanDuel, fanduel.com slash Boston. New customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when they place a $5 bet, which is fantastic. And of course, lots of big NFL things going on and lots of big basketball things too. So you can check that out. You can also check out my other work, written work, like Eric at The Athletic, podcasting with Nate at Dunked On, Dunked On Prime, and the mock-off season is coming close. I've started doing some of my prep for that, which is very exciting. And we're also doing a, a free trial. It's the first time we've ever really done that, so you can check that out as well. There should be plenty of detail of that on social media or listening to some of those podcasts. And you can also check out Nate and I are doing what we call the NBA strategy stream. And that is a roughly weekly broadcast through NBA league pass where we call the game live. So you watch the game and you get our call and we have cool production and we do trivia and Twitter questions and everything else. I'm, I'm really proud of what we do there. And the next one will be this coming Monday. We're doing Clippers Cavs. That is a seven Eastern for Pacific start should be a really fun game. I actually need to do some of my prep for it, but that will be a really good experience. And if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I am not the greatest at replying. I acknowledge that at the outset, but that's why I tell you what it is. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.